Well, good morning, R.K. I trust that you are well. Uh, welcome to our little Bible study this morning. Uh, a big welcome to you wherever you are tuning in from this morning. We're delighted to have you with us. We've been looking at um, Paul's, the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey in the Acts of the Apostles. And it's been given to me to, um, to talk about Paul's time in the great city of uh, Athens, Athens. At the time of the Apostle Paul, Athens was a, a very famous city. In actual fact, centuries before even the Apostle Paul got there, Athens was renowned for, for many things. Uh, it was famous for its architecture, the Acropolis, that magnificent uh, building that we see in, in Athens. It was famous for its uh, wisdom and its intellect. It was famous for its literature. It was, it was famous for its great philosophers, men like Socrates and, and Plato's. And Athens was the uh, adopted home of the great philosopher Aristotle. It was such a respected city that even when the Roman Empire conquered it, uh, they gave it special status. So it was a, a significant place, Athens. In fact, Athens is on my bucket list. I have to get to it someday. I've been to some of the islands of Greece, but I've never been to mainland Greece, and I've always wanted to go to Athens, and hopefully someday I'll do that. Now, probably... Paul didn't intend to go to Athens. Uh, it wasn't on his hit list, as it were, in terms of places to go. But he found himself there in, in the providence of God, waiting for some companions to arrive, Timothy and Silence. But although he didn't intend to go there, uh, he was there in the plan and in the purpose of God, I, I am sure, and he was not going to waste an evangelistic opportunity. If you've seen that movie, Dead Poets Society, uh, Robin Williams, he quotes uh, an old Latin proverb, carpe diem, carpe diem, which means seize the day. And here's Paul in, in Athens, and we can be absolutely certain that he was going to seize the day, he was going to seize the opportunity to preach Christ and him crucified. And as Paul was God's man in Athens, so we as Christians, well, we're God's people in Chesterfield or Sheffield or wherever you're listening from this morning. You were there in the purpose of God to be a witness. So I want to talk about Paul as God's man in Athens. And there's just a few things I want to share with you. First of all, I want us to see the idols that he saw in verse 16. We're looking at Acts 17, uh, verses 16 to the end of the chapter, which is verse 34. When you get a chance, please read through it. But in Acts 17 and in verse 16, it says this, While Paul was waiting for them, that's for Timothy and, and, and Silas to join up with them, 
uh, he was he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So first of all, the idols that he saw. What got Paul's attention when he was in Athens was was not the beautiful buildings, and I'm sure he appreciated that. I'm sure he appreciated going around the seats, the, the, the streets, and, and looking up the, the, the beautiful buildings. But what really got Paul's attention wasn't the buildings, but it was the idolatry. There was hundreds, if not thousands, of idols carved into the public buildings. And if they weren't carved into the public buildings, they were set up somewhere. Idols of marble and stone and, and, and wood. And there were actual, in actual fact, there was, there was a saying at the time of the Apostle Paul that it was easier to find a god than a man. The city was just absolutely full of idols. And that's what Paul saw. But what is an idol? What, what possible bearing has that got upon us now, 21st century Christians in, in uh, England? Uh, how does that relate to us now? What is an idol? Well, to put it in very simple terms, an idol is not just something that is made of stone or wood or marble, as I've said, but it is anything that takes the place of God. Anything that takes the place of God. And there are a lot of 21st century idols. Now, it can be sport. Now, I'm sure that out there, listening to me today, there must be some Liverpool supporters. I won't say too much about that. There must be some Arsenal supporters and Chelsea supporters, uh, but for some people, it's sport is a is is an idol. They're consumed with it. In actual fact, I've been a, a lifelong Manchester United supporter. I hope you can forgive me for that. Since the days of George Best, I've um, just always followed that team. But I I came across this um, a, a while ago. You you know the church notices. Um, that you see sometimes outside of church buildings. Um, and I, I saw one sign, and it was in the form of the church notice, and it said, Manchester United, the religion, services on Saturday at 3 p.m. Yeah. For some people, sport is... It's an idol. It's a religion. It could be other things. It could be power, or sex, or money, or work. Dare I say it? It could even be a person. Now, it's easy for us, isn't it, as Christians, to point the finger at the world and say, Oh, look at that. Look at Look at the idols that he is worshipping. Oh, it's not that they're bowing down to things, but their life is consumed by a particular thing. So it's easy for us to, to point the finger and say, oh, look at that. Isn't that terrible? But as 
one person has said, when you point the finger, there's always three other ones pointing back at yourself. We need to be on our guard against and about idolatry. In fact, the New Testament warns Christians, be careful of idols. I, I like this verse of scripture in 1 John 5, 21. One of the last things he said in that beautiful epistle was this, dear friends, keep yourselves from idols. And he's talking to Christians here. And maybe that's a message that Christians need to hear today as well. Forget about the city of Athens just for a moment. That was full of idols. What about us? Are we keeping ourselves from idols? If God is no longer the, the focal point of our lives, if he is no longer in our thoughts, if he is no longer the one who governs the way that we, the, the way that we live, then maybe... Maybe we are drifting into a bit of idolatry in our lives. And once again, the New Testament warns us, warns Christians not to be consumed or drift into idolatry. So before we point a finger at this world, let's examine ourselves. So notice this, God's man in Athens Notice the idols that he saw. And there's a lot of 21st century idols today. Secondly, I want us to look at the emotions he had. I, I, I like, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of, of idols. Three times we are, we are told here that, that what Paul saw, it, it had an impact upon him. There in verse 16, also in verse 22, when he got before the Areopagus, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are religious, because he saw the idols. And then in verse 23, he said, For as I woke, walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. And I'll throw it in passing, but there's even a message, uh, there's even a sermon there to the unknown God, but we haven't got time to go into that. Now, what you worship as something unknown I am going to proclaim to you now. So three times, it says here, Paul looked. He observed. And what happened? Well, dare I say it, Paul got rattled. Uh, can, can I be so blunt as to say, he got angry. He got angry with what he witnessed. When he saw those idols, he got mad. Do you know that there's a place in our lives as Christians where we can get angry about things? You know, there's things that 
go on in the world today, and oh, it gets me angry. You know, Paul, when he was writing to the church at Ephesus, he said, be angry, be angry. It was a command, and sin not. So there's an, an anger that we can have, which does not lead us into sin, and which is not a sin. But he got angry. He got angry because they, they were denying God his rightful place. In fact, in the Ten Commandments, the first three commands uh, highlight the subject of uh, idolatry. Uh, he got angry because he was jealous for the glory of God. These people were giving devotion to a, an idol that they should have been giving to God. He was, he was angry because <coughs> they were giving themselves to something which could not satisfy the human heart. And because of this, holy indignation was kindled in Paul's heart. He got mad. I've always, um, I've always quite uh, appreciated the um, the music of Andrew Lloyd Webber. He's uh, he's uh, done some fantastic uh, musicals, hasn't he? Um, you're, you're probably familiar with the musical Evita, and. Um, there's one song from that musical that I always enjoy listening to. Um, it goes something like this. Don't cry for me, Auntie Tina. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't cry for me, Argentina. And there's one verse that goes like this. And as for fortune, and as for fame, I never invited them in, though it seemed to the world they were all I desired. They are illusions. They're not the solutions they promised to be. The answer was here all the time. I love you. And hope you love me. Yeah, as for fortune and as for fame that people give their lives to, they're, they're illusions. They can never satisfy the deep longings and cravings of our hearts. And the Apostle Paul, he, he got angry because idols were keeping these people in bondage and they could never satisfy the human heart. He, he was distressed because he was jealous for the glory of God. He, he, he was distressed because they were giving themselves to that, a devotion that they should have been giving to God. And friends, as we look into this world today, oh, come on, as Christians, there should be some things that just cause us to rise up in, in righteous indignation, which just cause us to be angry. So, the idols he saw, 
the the emotions he had. And then look at the message he shared in verse. I, I, I love this. The message he shared, verse 17 to 19, it says this. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the uh, Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athians and the, and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about the listening, about talking and listening to the latest ideas. Oh, wow. I, I love, I just love the, um, the versatility of the Apostle Paul here as he shared this message. And he shared this message because of the emotions that he felt. He just said, I've got to tell these people about Jesus. And he shared the gospel in the synagogue. In fact, we we're talking about this in our, in our home group uh, last night. And could I encourage you to get involved with a house group? It's so important that we keep those links with you. Um, the church wants to look after you pastorally. And one of the best ways you can do that is just by linking up with a a house group. So could I, at this point, just give a little plug to get attached to uh, a home group somewhere. So he shared the gospel in the synagogue. In actual fact, that was the usual thing he did. Paul, on his missionary journeys, he went to the synagogue. He himself was a converted Jew. He would go and he, he would reason with them from the scriptures uh, that Jesus was the Christ um, and that he, Jesus had to suffer. And in the synagogue as well, there was God-fearing uh, uh, Greeks or God-fearing Gentiles, as, as um, some versions say, who obviously have been maybe converted to Judaism. And I, I suppose you could say they were, they were the religious people. And Paul, I suppose, it, being a Jew himself, he had an audience because he was able to to link them up immediately with the Old Testament scriptures. So he shared the gospel in the synagogue with the Jews and the Greeks. And then he shared the gospel in the marketplace, just with ordinary folks. Well, what is your marketplace? It could be the restaurant. It could be Asda's or Tesco's. It could be the gymnasium. It could be where you meet and socialize with people in a particular... That, what is your marketplace? And then, and then he shared the gospel in the, in the Oropagus. I hope I'm pronouncing that people, that, that word correctly. These people were, were the guardians of the city. Um, the city's religion. 
they were amongst, I suppose, the people who were viewed as being very intellectual. Uh, they were the considered the intellectual ones. Um, and it's very interesting to see when he began to share the the message with these intellectual people. Actually, it's interesting to see that he, he quoted from their poets because he wanted to have a link with these people, these intellectuals. So he quoted uh, from from their poets. And, and he began by talking about the, the God of creation, the God who made the world and everything in the world. In, in The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples built by hands. I've seen all these temples in Athens. Well, God doesn't live in places like that. He is not served by human hands as, as if he needed anything because he himself gives life to men breath and everything for, for from one man he mean every nation of men uh, that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them and he says through him we live and move and have our being and and we are his offspring in a sense that he created us and so he begins with the god of creation um, and once again quoting some of their poets to, to get a link with them and he concludes by talking about the God of judgment he says in the past God overlooked such ignorance but now he commands all people everywhere to repent for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the one man he appointed he has given proof to all this by uh, to all men by raising him from the dead and the reaction to that was some sneered, uh, said, well, well, some said, well, listen to you again about this. And other people believed. Just read the, read the passage of Scripture. So, how does this apply to us as Christians? Now, well, we, we need to share the gospel with, re, with religious people who have a, a form of godliness but deny the power. We, we, need to, we need to share the gospel just with ordinary people. And we need to share the gospel with, with intellectual people as well. I, I think Josh mentioned this last week, and I endorse it and believe it as well. Um, <clears throat> I, I believe there's a place for Christian apologetics where men of, and women of great intellect can go and, and Paul... The Apostle Paul was obviously a, a man of great intellect that, you know, he could, he could adopt his message that would be understood by religious people, by ordinary people, and by very intellectual people. He could adopt his message in such a way that they could grasp it. Now, <laughs> I would be out of my depth if I went into a university and tried to do that with these great intellectuals of our day. But, oh, we need to pray that God will raise up people who can do that type of thing. I remember when I was in um, Dublin many years ago, uh, Trinity College, Trinity University. I, I, had, I had a guy who could hold his own in this type of thing. Uh, he became the principal of the Assemblies of God Bible College for many years called David Petz. And I got him along to, to speak to a, uh, because we had a, a university student that was coming to our church and uh, 
he managed to get us in and, and David, I remember well speaking to students at Trinity College Dublin, speaking on the on that verse of scripture, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. It was wonderful. But the message he shared was with religious people, with very ordinary people, with very, very in, in intelligent people. Regardless of who you are, everyone needs to hear the message of Christ's love. Just looking at the time here. Many years ago, so I'm quoting a couple of songs this morning, aren't I? But many years ago, uh, there was a singer by the name of Tony Orlando, and he had a six uh, a hit song over 40 years ago. This was, and. When I say the words here, you'll remember it, uh, if you're old enough to remember it. And it was, tie a yellow ribbon round the old oak tree. It's been three long years. Do you still want me? If I don't see a, a ribbon round the old oak tree, remember this guy had just got out of prison. He was going back to the woman that he loved and... He says, if I don't see a ribbon round the old oak tree, I'll stay on the bus. Forget about us. Put the blame on me. If I don't see a yellow ribbon round the old oak tree. And then the song concludes. Now the whole darn bus is cheering because they were looking for this old oak tree. Now the whole darn bus is cheering, and I can't believe my eyes. A hundred yellow ribbons round the old oak tree. I'm coming home. There hangs from the cross of Jesus, that cross upon which he died, countless yellow ribbons. And each one says, I want you. I love you. Oh, we can learn so many lessons from Paul in Athens. I've just tried to highlight some of the important things that I think we need to, to see. As Christians, let's, let's open our eyes and observe as, as Paul observed. And, and may our hearts be stirred as Paul's heart was stirred. And may we share, may we share the gospel with, with everyone, with religious people, with ordinary people, with, with intellectual. Let's pray that God will raise up people who can, who can communicate the gospel. Um, let's pray that God will raise up more C.S. Lewis or men and women of his caliber who can hold their own in this agnostic and unbelieving world. Um, may God help us to learn the lessons of Paul's time in the city of Athens. I hope that's food for thought for you. The Lord bless you real good. Have a great day. Amen.